Bible like this one, which I've had since 1985, and it's giant print, so it's easy to read. But anyway, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today, and um, now some of you will remember this. Do you, do you remember back in the day, there was a ketchup commercial, and they took a bottle of ketchup, and they turned the... the uh, took the lid off. This is really like very alive up here. I don't know if you guys are hearing what I'm hearing, but I feel like I'm in a stadium of 100,000 people on mega speakers, but anyway. Um, and you remember they took the lid off the ketchup and, and it just sat there for 60 seconds. No ketchup came out of the bottle and they sang the Carly Simon song in the background, Anticipation anticipation right and the whole idea was that if you're willing to wait something good comes out of the bottle and it's it's gonna be worth the wait but unfortunately that doesn't resonate with our society it doesn't resonate with our culture we want everything right now I mean think about when you used to make popcorn how you had to put it in a thing and move the pan around and the butter and everything popped, right? And then they, then they had those other things with the foam over them. Or the, and, and, and I'm not so sure popcorn that we eat at home is any better and is certainly not healthy. Um, all the junk they put in those packets that you put in your microwave, right? We become a microwave society and a culture. We want everything now. We want it to happen and we want it to happen quickly. It's, it's so bad in our society that when you and I are looking for something and we have a dream, we have an idea of what we want to satisfy our urges, we often settle for something less, right? I mean, our, our uh, self-esteem is, is rooted in our relationships and, and we have a certain idea of the relationship that we want to have with a person, but, but we have these high standards and we're sometimes not willing to wait for that person, that right individual, and so we kind of settle. And you know how well that works. It doesn't work well at all. And so this passage calls upon the disciples and says to them, Wait. Now, rooted in that conversation are the fundamentals for us as followers of Jesus. Sometimes God is having us wait so we can get firmly established in the fundam fundamentals of faith. The song that we just sang lists some theological fundamentals, but Jesus in this passage also establishes some fundamentals. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 1, and um, <clears throat> then I'm going to kind of tell you what's happening in the book of Acts, and then I'm going to ask, well, how could all of that happen? All right, and I'll make a few side trips here and there to clear the bushes a little bit, and then we'll, then we'll get to the point. Um, Acts chapter 1, this is written by Luke, and it's in, in history. Acts was a continuance of Luke, okay? 
and they were done in scrolls. So Luke is writing, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the, the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And in the last few weeks, we've talked about a few of those. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I want you to notice the mindset. As Paul read, he asked them to pray with him, and they slept. Jesus is telling them to wait for the power of the Spirit to establish his kingdom. And they, still thinking that he's the Messiah that is going to deliver them from the Romans, is speaking in, they are speaking in terms of power. They are speaking in terms of prestige. They are speaking in terms of their own position, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, and this is typical, let me just paraphrase it. Pastor, when are you going to do everything to make this church a great church? When are you going to change the programming and change this and do this and do that and make this the place, the happening place to be on Sunday morning? When are you going to do that? And Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to empower you my apostles and the few disciples that still remain because remember the numbers were low now their savior had been crucified and placed in a tomb and people had lost perspective and there weren't so many gathered around anymore it was a small group because the glitz and the glamour was gone and so jesus is saying no if this is going to happen you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, <laughs> to kind of nail uh, the coffin shut, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they are looking intently up into the sky as he was going, probably going, what? What happened, right? You know, what's going on? When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All right, so let's pray a little bit. 
Lord, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff here. Can't unpack it all, but we know that you have a specific message for us this morning, and help me stick to that. And I thank you, and I praise you for that. Uh, we open our ears and our minds, our thoughts. Remind us that we have the mind of Christ. Holy Spirit, work within us to reveal truth to us today. And um, we'll be careful to give you the praise for the changes that happen in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there's six things I want you to know about what's going to happen in the book of Acts. Number one, after this happens, and, and the record of Acts is that the church is established in Jerusalem, and the church becomes Greek-speaking, not speaking Aramaic, not speaking Latin. They are speaking Greek. Why? To allow the message to be understood and spread throughout the empire. Not only is Greek being speaking, but they're spoken, but they're not speaking classical Greek. They're speaking Koine Greek. Koine Greek is trade language Greek. It's the simplest Greek that you could speak. Why? So that the common person could understand the message about Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm going to dwell on this just for a minute because sometimes we get in discussions and arguments about Bible translations. And since most of us have been in the faith for a while and we get caught up in these discussions and, con and conversations, um, most of the arguments have to do with the King James Bible and why we should only read the King James Bible. And I'm going to tell you, as a little dude, I read the King James Bible. And most of the verses that I quote are King James Bible quotes to this day because I memorized the Bible when I was a little guy, went to church, went to Sunday school, and I didn't become a believer until I was 18, but the King James Bible was there. And uh, I've heard uh, one time uh, I was traveling with uh, Dr. Zacharias and at one of his crusades, and an old gentleman came up to older gentleman, I have to say it that way because I'm like an old gentleman now, at least old, I don't know about a gentleman, but anyway, older gentleman came up to him and said, because Dr. Zacharias preached out of the New International Version, and this fellow said, uh, Dr. Zacharias, I don't understand why you don't preach from the King James Bible. If it was good enough for Paul, it should be good enough for us in the church today. And Dr. Zacharias very kindly, very graciously said, Sir, do you understand that the Apostle Paul uh, spoke and ministered in the first century? And that the King James Bible was translated and written in the 17th century, 1607? Okay, the original. And the, and the, the guy goes, it was hilarious, he goes, Well, I'll be... You learn something new every day. But that had been echoed to him for decades. That modern translations were bad because the apostles preached in the King James Bible. You see how insane that is, that thinking. In fact, the King James Bible was one of several new translations where the Bible was translated into what? English, 
so that the English-speaking folks could understand what the priest was saying and preaching when they spoke in the Mass. And I want to tell you that those translations were done, and the guys who translated them, some of them were executed for putting the Bible into contemporary language. So, con so modern translators, and there are just, I think I have 248 translations on my iPad. Why are those translations done? Simply to make the Bible accessible to the people that I'm going to read to, you're going to read to, we're going to talk to, and all those kinds of things. So the early church, remember the passage said, being led by the Holy Spirit, spoke and chose to minister in Greek, a common language that everyone could understand. Secondly, the gospel went from Jerusalem into Palestine. Thirdly, in this history, um, the Gentiles were included. It wasn't just for Jews, but Gentiles as well. They sent out messengers into Asia. They sent messengers into Europe. And finally, into the capital of the Roman Empire, Rome, setting the stage for the gospel to be taken to all of the nations. And as we get into Acts in the next couple of weeks a little bit more, you will see that Jews from every nation were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. So how did all of that happen? I'm going to tell you one thing that I know for certain. They did not sit down as a group of apostles and come up with a mission statement they did not come up with a set of values. They did not come up with a business model and a plan to spread the gospel to the nations. They waited as commanded by Jesus in the upper room for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, understanding they had the mind of Christ, understanding that God would lead and direct them. They didn't worry about what their church looked like. They didn't worry about the crowds. They didn't worry about any of the things that we get caught up in in our church community today. They didn't worry about if their robes looked like they were prosperous or not or if they had a $2,500 pair of sneakers on. They didn't worry about, well, excuse me, I'd go down these roads and i pull it all back in. But you get the point. They didn't spread the church. The church spread as they were empowered by the Spirit of God. As they experienced a life-changing Jesus. And they went forward and they shared the good news and they died for it. They died for it. So, in this passage, it, Jesus mentions that he had given them some instructions so just let's, let's look at the instructions. Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 28, is a place where he gives them some instructions. Matthew 28, Matthew's Gospel. And I hear those pages turning, I hear them turning round. That's awesome, okay? That's an old Johnny Cash song, in case you didn't notice, but, you know, okay, all right. <clears throat> then the 12 disciples went to get, verse uh, 16. 
Then the twelve disciple, eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we've preached from that passage a thousand times. We use it in going to the nations and the mission and all those kinds of things. It's absolutely a, a fundamental call. But it was a call for them. But is it a call for us? Yeah, it's the fundamentals for us. It's his instructions for us to start in Jerusalem, Judea, and then to, you know, so start in Jacksonville, uh, what county is this? Duval County, um, St. John's County, the state of Florida, the southeast, the United States, to the nations beyond. That's a fundamental charge to us. Look at Luke's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. <clears throat> In chapter 24. And um, verse 44. Jesus says, <clears throat> I actually can read without glasses today. I don't know what's going on. It's, it's a good thing. He said to them, <clears throat> this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which we talked about last week, that Jesus is saying, I'm fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. And then he says this in the next verse. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Where? To all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high with power from on high so the directions are given they're told this is what you're to do and um, and this is the means by which you're going to do it the empowerment that you will receive now going back to acts chapter one um, verses four to five and then six to eight gives some more clarity because this is moving forward it's some days later on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father's promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right. Is he getting repetitious? Yeah, he kind of says the same thing to them over and over and over again. So you know what? Some in the crowd are going, you know, I don't like this pastor anymore. He's not feeding me. I'm not getting the depth that I need. I need more depth, okay? I need, this guy keeps talking about the same thing over and over again. I'm supposed to wait and get empowered, and then we're supposed to go to the nations. Okay, we get it. Can you give us another sermon, okay? And then 
goes on, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you this time going to restore the kingdom? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. But, same sermon, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This sermon is not meeting my needs. I'm just going to go somewhere else. They, they got a bigger tent down the road, and I'm going to go down there because I'm going to hear something that's going to just tickle my spine and itch my ears and make me feel so much better. And Jesus is saying, wait, this is what you're going to do, and this is how it's going to happen. The promise comes in verse 8, and the promise comes also, so empowerment, but the promise also comes in this way. He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so the promise is his return. That anticipated hope that we have. See, we don't only hope for heaven. We also hope for his return. And it just sounds fantastical. It sounds, um, I keep making up words here, but it just sounds like, no, that just doesn't make sense. How could that happen? But, but go back to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24. And for some reason, I need them now. Luke chapter 24. And that is not, no, Matthew chapter 24. Sorry, Matthew chapter 24. Forgive me. It didn't look right. Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> and verse 30. And Jesus is talking to them about the signs of the end of the age, which again is a whole other series. But just to show you that Nothing new is being said to them. Verse 30. At the same time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory or majesty. Uh, great glory is translated from the word Shekinah glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. And so Jesus even proclaimed what would happen at the end of the times and the promise that is given. Now, I think the main message for us to take from this this morning 
is that in the life that God has called us to, He has promised certain things that are going to happen, but there's a period of time for us to wait until those things happen. And so, how then are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to do what He's called us to do if we have to wait and y'all, many have waited for decades and decades and not seen the promises fulfilled, not seen the end of the story. Many of them have died um, in anticipating that the promises of God will be fulfilled in Jesus. And so he calls us to wait, but with the promise of the Holy Spirit. God never calls us to do something or be something if He doesn't make a way for it to happen. He always makes a way for it to happen. So it's possible for you to wait for the promise because God will make it happen. And His promise for the waiting time is the promise of the Holy Spirit as it comes into our lives. Now, we get confused and we argue and fight. And this is driving me crazy, sorry. It's just driving me nuts. But anyway, <laughs> I'm so weird. But anyway, um, we get confused about this Holy Spirit empowerment thing. And we argue about, well, it means this and it means this. I'm one of those people that doesn't have to think exclusively. It doesn't have to be A and B. It can be A and B. All right? It doesn't have to be either or or. It can be both and. So, the Holy Spirit, as He is described in the New Testament, is an indwelling Holy Spirit. We'll read verses here in a little bit to show this. It's an indwelling Spirit of God that when you give your life to Jesus, when you trust Jesus... The Spirit of God dwells within you, and that indwelling Spirit takes you to intimacy with God through Christ. It, it gifts you with gifts from the Holy Spirit. It also gifts you with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it is transformational. It makes you a new creation. But the Spirit of God is also a spirit described in Old Testament terms. And what you're seeing in the book of Acts and what Jesus is calling for as well here is a, the Spirit of God coming upon you as an individual and that Spirit empowering you with boldness and courage and strength. And that Spirit uses you to transform the culture all around you. Now, in ancient history, historians write about the early church not so much in terms of the power movement, but describing them like this. And one historian said that the early church frustrated the Roman emperors because no matter what happened in the empire, and no matter what they did to the Christians, 
the Christians were known for ministering to the sick and the poor in their culture and society. If there was a pestilence or disease, the Christians were the ones risking their lives taking care of those who had that disease. If there was a national calamity, the followers of Jesus were the ones who were digging people out of the rubble and taking care of those who were suffering. If there was a famine in the land, the churches were collecting food to help feed the people who were starving, first in the churches and then in the community. And that's why, one of the reasons that the church exploded. Because when the empowered ones went and shared the gospel and lives were changed, those lives were changed not to think about themselves, not to care about having their needs met, not concerned with glitter and glory and all the stuff that we're concerned about today in the church. They became concerned for the others around them. For the others. And I'm aware that I talk about that a lot. I'm aware that I reference that. But I don't think it's taken yet. And I'm not going to apologize for pointing that out. Because that is history. And that is the Word of God. And the message to us is that exactly. Now, let's look a little bit at the Scriptures. John chapter um, 14, just turn back to your left from Acts a little bit. John chapter 14, and again, Jesus makes some promises. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives where? With you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he goes on to describe, in, in fact, in verse 19, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Turn over to chapter 15, chapter 15, and verse 26. And when the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must, must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, let's shift to Romans, Acts, and then Romans. I'm going back and forth here just to help you get context and the clarity of the message. Romans chapter 8. And <clears throat> there's an awful lot here, but I want, I want to, just for the sake of time, uh, shift to um, verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but what? What's that say? By the Spirit. Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, 
And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You notice the interchange of words, different words. Um, Paul here is not describing different kinds of spirits. Jesus wasn't talking about different kinds of spirits. They are all referring to the one Spirit that leads us to truth, that convicts us of sin, that walks beside us and guides us through our lives and helps us to make decisions, who comes into our lives to give us strength and empowerment to live not a life of flesh, but a life of spirit. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, and your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, look at what else the spirit of God did. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, just to make sure you guys know you're not off the hook, you gals, excuse me, uh, we have an obligation not to the sinful nature to live according to it, but if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because, because those who live are led by the Spirit of God and are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, Daddy, Daddy. Notice the intimacy. My, my daughter's here. She, Stacy calls me daddy sometimes. That's awesome. I'm like 70 and she's 40. Not yet, are you? No, you're getting there. Okay. You know, or, or, or my grandkids, they call me Pop Pop. That's intimate, right? I try to get them to call me Dr. Two Pop. It doesn't work. But, but you know, the, their intimate name for me is there. And so we cry out. God, it's not being familiar, it's not disrespecting God to call him Abba. It's not disrespecting of God to call him Daddy, to have that intimacy. It's amazing that the creator of the universe wants us to call him Pops, Daddy. Wow! We don't have to call him Mr. President, Mr. God, General God. Admiral God for the Navy guys. No, man. Daddy. So you and I can pray. Loving Father. Father God. Daddy. Heavenly Father. I mean, all of these words that we use are intimate words. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. No glory without guts, is how some people might say it, right? No glory without the waiting. No grandeur without the humility and the patience that God has called us to. So, let me leave you with this. We'll get into it more in the weeks to come. I'm sure Tom will remind us of some of these things next week as well. But God, our Daddy, 
has given us the promise of His, promise of His Spirit to empower us. And there are times when we need special empowerment from on high, and He'll give us that too. I've had all those experiences as a pastor over decades, and I realized um, that next December 14th or so, a year like 2024, I'll have 40 years in serving in God's kingdom. And I can stand before you and say that he has always been there and done exactly what he promised. And he's an awesome, empowering God who meets us wherever we are. And I encourage you today to not look for him in the glory. Can I tell you something? I can remember one time we lived in Lakeland, Florida. We lived off uh, Marla Avenue, which is in the Highlands. He, I mean, he lives in Lakeland, so I'm just looking at him. Sorry, Nathan, pointing you out. Um, he kind of knows. And we, we, I was standing at the kitchen sink. I was a new pastor. I was young, right? I'm standing there, yes, at the kitchen sink. I'm looking at Vicki. I, I, I don't know what I was doing at the kitchen sink, maybe doing dishes. We were doing some remodeling. Maybe I was doing there. And I looked out the window, and there was a big phosphate pit behind our house. And it, it was just beauty. And a flock of flamingos flew over. You know, pink flamingos. Oh, my goodness. I can remember another morning sitting on that porch, a screen porch, and a bunch of hot air balloons drifted over our house and across that lake. And in those instances, God said to me, why are you looking for me in the bling and the bang? I can be found in the beauty of my creation. So I want to say to you that if you're doing the dishes, you can find Jesus while you're doing the dishes. You know? Stacy was changing a very unpleasant diaper last night of her littlest one who will be a year June 18th. Very unpleasant, but I can't smell anything, so it's no big deal. And, uh, and you know what? You can find Jesus changing a baby's diaper as you look in amazement at the creation of that precious little one sitting before you. I mean, there's nothing accidental about that. There's nothing freakish or weird about that. That's a, that's a picture of, of, the majesty, of the majesty of the majesty of the creative powers of God. God is all around you. And he's all around you all of the time. And even when you can't see anymore, he is there. Amen? He is there. Even when you can't feel anymore, he's there and he's present. Because he will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm looking out the window right now as we're preaching. I'm saying these words to you. And I'm seeing beauty and the grandeur of God's creation and majesty. And you can find him. So... Stop looking for the stuff and look for him. There's an old, old hymn. I'll close with this. I've got two more minutes. So we're always looking for the provision, the stuff. Look for the provider. We're always looking for the healer. Excuse me, the healing. <laughs> we should rather be looking for the healer because when we find him he does all those things does that make sense amen let's pray
Loving Father, I thank